Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Tonight we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. We went through three chapters on Tuesday night, and as we come forward tonight, we're going to be on that third chapter, chapter 12. I will survey and touch on chapters 10 and 11 as well. The reason we did those three chapters together, they're a nice fit, they're not particularly long chapters, but they all revolved around Rehoboam, who became the third king of Israel after the passion of his dad Solomon, that third king in the line of David, actually the fourth king if you include Saul. So it's, a, it's uh, 920-ish BC, and the great king David had stepped into eternity. His son Solomon had reigned, and Solomon stepped into eternity about the age of 60, and now Rehoboam has become king. And we know that Solomon made a lot of bad decisions in the latter part of his reign as king, and the consequences of, the, of those decisions have come upon his son Rehoboam and the nation of Israel. And in that context, before Solomon stepped into eternity, before, uh, due to his disobedience, God sent him a prophet that told him that the consequences of his sin and marrying all these women that were not Israelite women and worshipped other gods and appeasing them by putting altars for their gods on the mountains and the hills and promoting and providing for their worship, the consequence was that the nation of Israel would be divided in two portions. That ten tribes would be torn away, the ten northern tribes, and given to someone else, and that the descendant of Solomon, who is Rehoboam, would inherit two tribes. God had spoke that prophetically through the prophet before Solomon's passing. And now with his passing and his completion and stepping into eternity, now a whole new future lays in front of everybody for Israel and the divided kingdom, which will define them as a nation for the next couple hundred years going forward from this. And so Rehoboam came to power, and there's events that surrounded his life that we, like I said, we covered in detail on Tuesday. But there's a moment in his life, he reigned for 17 years, he died at the age of 58. And there's a moment that really symbolically speaks to us of his life, and it just really declares what he did with his life. He wasted his life. And we're told in verse 9 of chapter 12 that eventually this king from Egypt came up, uh, Shishak, uh, verse 9, that he came up from Egypt against Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. Remember, there's tremendous wealth from David passed on to Solomon and Solomon passed on to Rehoboam. And uh, this, this Pharaoh of Egypt, he, he took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. I mean, these are huge gold shields. They're just worth, you can't even put a monetary value on them. The, the equivalent for our economy would just be so high right now, it's crazy. And he carried them away. And so then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. If there ever were two verses that described the follies and failures of a man who was so set up for success and who came so short of what God had for him. These two verses summarize Rehoboam so well. Gold 
is the metal of heaven. Heaven is described as being in gold, the throne room. Bronze is the metal of earth, the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made. Gold is in the holiest of holies in the house of the Lord. Bronze is the altar with the animal sacrifices and the sinful humanity outside the holy temple of the Lord. They truly are symbolic of eternity, gold, and bronze, temporal time. You don't read of anything in heaven being bronze. Only gold and precious jewels. God set him up. He received great gifts of gold on a personal wealth level and the treasury of the house of the Lord. When he, he didn't do anything to earn it. He was groomed by Solomon to be the successor. Solomon had who knows how many children. He's the only one referred to by name in the entire Bible. Out of all, he had 300 wives and all the concubines. He had all kinds of children, but the only one referred to by name is Rehoboam. He was groomed to be the successor to the great King Solomon, all the wisdom, all the wealth, and it's handed over to him, including the gold shields and all the treasuries of the house of the Lord. He inherited gold, but he pursued bronze. It's a sobering tragedy of a wasted life to consider. So much opportunity, but it was lost opportunity. So tonight we're going to look at his lost opportunity, but we're going to look at it not just in the bad choices he made and how they affected him and the people he led, but the, what we can learn from them on a positive light. Because if there's one thing we learn in the human experience, we learn from our own mistakes, but it's better to learn from other people's mistakes. And if we can learn from other people's mistakes, then it's to our benefit. And in this text tonight, there are things that are so associated with Rehoboam that are his mistakes that tonight we want to learn from them and look at the positive so we can be sure that we don't step into eternity at 58 having wasted our life with incredible opportunity. In fact, before we get into the topic, I'll say this. In those parables of the minas and the talents that Jesus gave, where one gets one and buries it, another gets two and makes four, another gets five and makes ten, there, there's such a principle from those passages about time and stewardship with eternity, and I can't help but link those things to Rehoboam and what happened in his life. So this is the man who was set up for greatness, was given gold, but pursued bronze, and it's a story of lost opportunity. The first thing we see about his lost opportunity, it really began with rejecting good counsel. Now, there's three verses we're going to look at related to his lost opportunity. The man who went from gold to bronze. And they're very strong and profound statements. They really jump out at you in the three chapters surmising his life. It says in verse 10 that when he came to power... The northern tribe said, hey, your father was hard on us. How are you going to treat us? And he said, give me three days to think about it. And then he went back to those counselors. We'll call it the board of elders for Solomon. Now, if Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived until Christ came, it's safe to say that his board of elders is the wisest board of elders that ever existed. If you make them a cabinet like a government, or you make them truly like a board of elders, like a corporation, who would have been smarter and wiser than those guys? The expansion of the kingdom, the management of wealth, the management of politics and people, uh, how they grew the kingdom, they imported gold from Ophir, they did all these things, they hired the the most skillful people to build their boats and run their ships, and the, the empire just expanded 
makes the game of Monopoly look like child's play. What Solomon did and what he did with these people. He had brilliant minds around him. And so when he wrote Proverbs, he said, in the multitude of counsel, there's wisdom. Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about his board of elders right here. He said, by wise counsel, wage war. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his own experiences with these men. When Rehoboam came to power and they handed him the keys to the kingdom, there was the board of elders, these men who stood by his dad at the zenith of political, economic, military success. Now, we can't really say spiritual success, but we don't know how these men were. We all know you can work for someone who's not spiritual and you're still spiritual, right? You can work for a carnal person, but you want to be a spirit-filled one. So we don't really know how they were in that sense, but we, it's safe to say, based upon the harmony of scriptures, that these guys were there to guide Rehoboam with really good decisions in coming to power, but he didn't, he didn't heed it. So he went to these men. He said, hey, what do you recommend? They said, look, these people, if you treat them kindly and treat them with respect, they'll follow you. You can be a leader for them, and they'll follow you, and you can take the kingdom forward. But then he went to his council of fools, the people who grew up with, his peer group. We might even say his high school peer group. Now, it's safe to say that though Rehoboam was groomed for greatness, like as an heir to the throne, it's safe to say he never wanted for things in life. He didn't work at Del Taco at 16 with his first job. He didn't mow lawns in Orange County as an immigrant or clean houses as a maid as an immigrant. Rehoboam, he, he went to, you know, private schools. He went to like Calvary Chapel High School or Modern Day or Sage Hill. I mean, he, he was given a higher education. They, Solomon made sure that Rehoboam got the best. And he has a peer group. Now, when you have everything and you're the guy in school that has everything, you have a bunch of yes men or yes women that follow you around. So he had all these, these, these friends that were foolish. They might, he might have been a free gravy train for everybody, as they say. I'm just thinking he didn't, he so mismanaged everything he received that even though he was trained by his dad to handle it, because he never, it's like the butterfly doesn't break out of the cocoon. You, you can't just rescue it. The struggle is what makes you fly. You have to go through the struggle. See, the end game isn't what you've accomplished. It's who you became as you accomplished it. That's how life works. And I'm not sure what he accomplished, but I do know this. His high school peer group, they're a council of fools. And they said, hey, you know, tell them what to do. You're the boss around here. You got the gold shields. You got the money. You got the military. You got the button on the nukes. You're the boss. You tell them what to do. I mean, you're like, you're a bomb, man. Your, your grandfather's David. Your dad is Solomon. You tell those people, you tell those northern tribes, this is how we do it. That's literally what they did. You tell them my dad was hard on you, I'm going to show you what hard looks like. He just became a dictator and an authoritative, totalitarian boss without ever having accomplished anything in life. It's like sometimes when companies hire some smart know-it-all person, they don't know anything, and they bring him in. Anyone that's smart that works there is like, peace out. They start working on their exit strategy. And that's what's going on here. And his big mistake is, it says in verse 8, 
but he rejected the advice which the elders gave him. And then after the three days, he came back and he spoke harshly to the 10 tribes. And it says he rejected the advice of the elders and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. And this brings us to such a key point that in the council of fools, there's nothing but folly and the philosophy that goes with fools. So we need to be really careful when we're at work, how people influence us. When we go away to college, how people influence us. When we go to public school, when we hang out with a peer group at the skate park or whatever we're doing. Your peer group when you're a surfer in Carlsbad in the 70s. You need to really think about who's influenced you and how they're influencing you and its impact on your life. Influences are like this. Three minutes, three hours, three days, and a lifetime. So really help you gauge, like, what's the value of what's influencing you? Whether it's a human being, a person trying to push your buttons or tell you what to do, family member, relative, co-worker, uh, unhealthy relationship in a romantic sense, college professors who can go to a class an entire semester, never learn the topic, but be told how to think properly according to their worldview. It happened to my kids in public colleges, I know from experience. Three-minute people are the people you talk to about the weather. This is someone you get along copacetically with your neighbors that are kind of, they cause problems, but you don't want to create, you don't want to give them a reason to not like you, so it's a three-minute conversation. How are you doing? How's the weather? How's the job going? Good. Three hours is someone that you can have a relationship with. You can go have coffee at Moon Goat with them. You can go out to lunch somewhere with them. Go out to Wahoo's, hang out for lunch, have a great meal. Go to vacancy afterwards. You can spend three hours with somebody, and they don't tear you down. You know, it's pretty iron sharpening iron. Good conversations. Yeah, well, Lord bless you. You know, great to hang out with you, and uh, we'll see you next time. Three-day people are people you go on a road trip with, or on a, uh, like a business trip, if you will, but you choose to. Three-day people are people like you can really get in the car with Jeremy Camp, like back in the day, and have really meaningful conversations with someone about the Lord and where they're at and where things are at worldview, human philosophies. That's, that's a three-day person. And a three-day person is a solid person. After that, it's pretty much indefinite. It's people that you, you know, they're good people, they pour into you good things, and they're a good influence on your life. And the way you really can determine someone that's three minutes, three hours, or three days, or indefinite, is where's their faith at? What kind of faith do they have? And what kind of fruit does it produce? Life is too short to let faithless, godless people produce bad fruit, who produce bad fruit produce bad fruit in you. Our minds, our hearts, and our lives are like a garden. And you've got to keep the locust out, and you've got to weed out the things that shouldn't be there. You've got to tend your garden of who you are, your spirit, mind, and body, your soul, your person. It's amazing to me, look back in my life, how certain things people said one time in three minutes hindered me for years. I'll give you a good example. I walked into a church in 1983 at Calvary Chapel, wanted to do the right thing with the Lord. It would be four years later before I got it right with the Lord. I walked into a church. A person walked up to me and said, yeah, you're Joey Brown, you know, pro surfer, California kid. I heard you like Santana. Santana's of the devil. Then the next thing they say is, I heard your mom's a Catholic. You know, all Catholics are going to hell. That is the first two things a stranger said to me when I walked to the door at North Coast Calvary Chapel in Encinitas in 1983. That negative statement, I allowed, that's the, you know, because there's people like that that talk like that. 
The problem isn't them. It's a problem that affect me. I let that keep me from an evangelical church and going back to that church for four years. I would have an attempted suicide and be in a straitjacket before I went back to that church. It's a three-minute person. It's like, it's like jiu-jitsu, taekwondo. You just send a car, wax the floor, you know, Miyagi. You're just doing that. You give them three minutes, yeah, okay. As I got older, a few people have been offended because I said, all right, next thing, after church. See, in a big church, there's three-minute people. They're waiting to corner the pastors after every service at Big Calvary. They're three-minute people. I gave them 30 minutes, and I realized as time went on, I should probably give them three minutes because it's the same thing. See, Romaine understood that. Pastor Romaine, he said, did you do what I told you to do? No, then don't even talk to me. We have nothing to talk about because otherwise you're just going in circles. You look at the faith of a person, and what that fruit looks like of their faith. And then how it affects their philosophy of life. And say, is this someone that I want pouring into me? And is this someone that's going to receive from me pouring into them? Because you younger people realize as you go through with life, there's people that are pouring into you that you receive from. And then eventually there's people around you, like your peer group, that want to learn and you can pour into them and vice versa. As iron sharpens iron, birds of a feather flock together. And as you get older, you want to pour into young people that will receive what you have to say, and they'll grow and learn from it and be fruitful for it. But at 62, I can say, 62 years of life, I've let way too many three-minute people have way more influence on my life and my thinking than I should have. And I can't change that, but I can speak to young people and say, hey, ask yourself, is this a three-minute conversation, a three-hour lunch, or a three-day road trip, or is this this someone I can really hang out with and we're going to Build each other up. We're like-minded for the kingdom of God, for walking by faith, saved by faith, living by faith, walking by faith. The blood of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom, the glory, the return of Christ. You can have a three-minute conversation with that person, but you can also go on a three-day road trip with that person because I've done it. His big mistake that started all of his problems at the very beginning of his administration as king was that he rejected the advice which the elders have given him. It was all there for him. And, you know, Grandpa David said this in Psalm 1, to to sit not in the counsel of the ungodly. He had the wisest men in the history of humanity right there trying to help him, and he goes and hangs out with his high school fools and becomes a bigger fool than any of them because they weren't entrusted with the keys of the kingdom and the gold shields, and the calling from God to be the king of Judah in the line of David for the coming of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was. So when people want to give you advice, this is a good thing to say. Ask yourself, would I want to switch places with them? That's a good gauge. Would I want to switch places with that person? See, if Pastor Chuck gave me advice, and he did, as a minister of the gospel, I'd have to look at Pastor Chuck and say, would I want to switch places with this guy? Well, it looks pretty fruitful, huh? 3800 South Fairview Avenue is a lot of good fruit, not to mention Twin Peaks, Marietta, and Vita, and all these other things. How about the Harvest Book and all the people he influenced for the kingdom and their fruits? Skip Isaac, Greg Glory. I mean, uh, yeah, I could switch places with Pastor Chuck. Yeah, that's good counsel. That's someone you should listen to. But it's amazing how often we'll listen to someone who's a failure trying to tell us how to become a success. So ask yourself, Where's their faith at? What kind of fruit is it producing? And what kind of philosophy of life comes from their faith and their fruit? 
And if you don't want to, if you wouldn't trade places with them, why would we ever let them influence you? Why would you do that? Only you can answer that question. And I know from my own life, the folly I've gone after by letting godless men and women influence me in a moment walking through a church or just in who I hung out with. I saw a clip of Mel Gibson the other day, and he said, you know, the the most terrifying fear for all people is the fear of public humiliation. And he said, you know what? I'm so past that now. I don't care what anyone thinks. And let me tell the younger people, you care more when you're younger, you're a little bit older. You're like, you care, but not as much. And then you're totally unfiltered by the time you're 80. So, you know, (laughs) you really don't care whether you know it or not. Lost opportunity for him began by not recognizing his need for other people that could pour into him and help him in his journey and that he could grow and learn with them and share the journey with them. His lost opportunity began with thinking he had it all figured out just by default because he's Solomon's kid and he's been groomed for such a thing. And that's a problem when you hand people gold shields. They didn't earn them. And that's the problem that you get. That's the problem that you get. So... The way we're going to learn from this mistake of rejecting good counsel is to seek good counsel and good influences, to hang out with godly people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and fear the Lord, who honor his word and are fruitful and live by faith and take steps of faith and believe in the miraculous and speak the miraculous and are the miraculous. That's who you want to hang out with. Eternal people, not people whose favorite color is gold in heaven, not bronze on earth. People whose lives reflect the kingdom and the coming of the, of the Lord and the glory of the Lord and the setting their mind on things above. Those are the people we want more than three minutes with. But people who are bronze, 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 they wake up and think bronze, live bronze, and, and trade bronze. Just three minutes. Yeah, the marine layer is pretty tough this year. That's it. Don't let them shape your life. Surround yourself in the multitude of godly people. And that was his first big mistake for lost opportunity. He lost, he didn't see his need to be poured into by people who knew more than him. He just had it all figured out. So that's a good one to learn from. The second one is it says in chapter 12, it said this of him, that he forsook the law of the Lord. Chapter 12, verse 1. So what happened was he, he was going to, the, the northern kingdom rejected him as king. And he sent the tax collector, they killed him. And then he's ready to go to war with 100,000 soldiers. God sends him a prophet and says, don't do that because this is of me. So he wisely heeds that counsel and doesn't go to war. There are moments of Rehoboam. You go like, what a, man, what a hard thing to understand. He's paradoxical in some ways, actually, an enigma. So he doesn't go to war. He says, okay, we're we're two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. So I'm going to strengthen all the cities in Judah and Benjamin. So he strengthened. What he did is he still had that afterglow of wisdom from his dad. So he strengthens all these cities, uh, strengthens them militarily, gives them the weapons they need, the food they need, the storehouses. He fortifies what is his. So it's a huge retraction. But what it retracted to, he made it strong. That's what he did. And then eventually... In the north, Jeroboam, who was his adversary, he persecuted all the true believers. So from the ten tribes, anyone that wanted to serve the Lord came to Jerusalem and to the south, as did all the Levites and the priests. So it's not a point in the text tonight, but he fumbled the golden opportunity because God brought him all the godly people. Anyone that wanted to serve the Lord left the northern tribes and came and joined him. So not only did he not listen to the counsel of the godly leaders, but God brought him great people, the kind of people you want to hire and work with. 
and partner with in the journey of life, spiritually and economically. And they came to him. He was a haven for them. And for three years, they all walked in the ways of the Lord while Jeroboam was up in the north building altars to golden cows and expelling the people that would want to walk with the Lord. So as bad as it was with Rehoboam in the south, it was worse with Jeroboam in the north who inherited those ten tribes, the former ambitious worker for Solomon. Solomon made Jeroboam extremely powerful, Rehoboam's adversary. And that was the irony of God's chastening on Solomon's house after he was gone, that the one he let rise up with ambition is the one who was at war with his son after he was gone, Jeroboam. So Solomon had consolidated these things and he did all this good stuff and smart stuff, political, power, money stuff. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.